we get insecure. You know, we have a little bit of imposter syndrome. We're worried that if we get our price wrong, people aren't going to buy. And all this work that we invested in something, is going to be for nothing because no one's buying our product. And I'll be honest, it's usually not the price, but your confidence plays into the entire picture. Hi, I'm Tori Mystic, and you're listening to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast, the only show dedicated to supporting women in all areas of the pet industry. In this episode, I am bringing back one of my favorite guests, Julie Swan. She's the founder of the Dog Breeder Society, and she runs a successful business breeding German short-haired pointers and rat terriers. But don't tune out if you're not a dog breeder. This conversation is full of financial tips that apply to any type of pet business. You'll learn about the numbers you need to know in order to set your pricing, plus the one number that really doesn't matter at all. Julie also gives us actionable steps to be more confident about our pricing. I know that's a question I hear all the time from people in where WAG repeat is, how do I set my prices? So I really hope this conversation can help you. I also loved hearing Julie's insight on pricing gaps. You know, when you see someone who has a product for five bucks and then another for 500 with nothing in between, that's a pricing gap and you want to avoid having that in your business. It makes customers doubtful of the value of both the cheaper item and the expensive item. If you want to hear more of my insights into how I would implement Julie's advice from this conversation, there's an exclusive bonus episode for Wear, Wag, Repeat Society members. This year, I'm releasing a new bonus episode every month with real examples of how I would implement each expert podcast guest's advice. A lot of the time, I am walking the walk with this advice in my own business, so If you're curious and you want that extra insight, get on the wait list for Wear, Wag, Repeat Society. Membership opens for about a week at the start of each quarter, so the next chance to join is early April. You can go to wearwagrepeat.com slash society to learn more about everything and also get on the wait list. But today, here on this episode, we still have tons of valuable and actionable advice for you. Let's dive right into the interview with Julie Swan. And of course, if you like what you hear, remember to leave a review in your podcast app or share the episode on social media, tagging me at wearwagrepeat. Julie Swan is a dog breeder and dog breeding business strategist. She is the founder and CEO of the Dog Breeder Society, a monthly membership and community for dog breeders. Through her community and individual or group coaching, she works with dog breeders of all breeds, seasoned or brand new, helping them to build an integrity-based, profitable business they love. Julie is also the host of the Honest Dog Breeder podcast, a show dedicated to the honest truth about breeding dogs, not all about rolling around in the grass with puppies. In her home life in Southern Arizona, she breeds German short-haired pointers and rat terriers. She is a daughter and son that she does homeschool with, and she's supported by an amazing and terribly patient man. 
On weekends, she's out with the dogs, cleaning kennels, hanging out with the kids on bike rides, or snuggling up for some homemade popcorn to watch a good Origins movie. Hey, Julie. Hey, Tori. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, We've had a couple conversations on here, and I always love talking to you. Um, The episode that we did, it was back episode 184, and now we're at 305. Wow. (laughs) Um, But that one, 184, for a long time was the most downloaded episode by and far of the of my whole series. Um, and that was about pricing insight. So we're back again today to talk more about pricing. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So today we are really going to talk about knowing your numbers in your business, what numbers you need to know in order to price your products, and then how to be confident about your price. So let's just start off right at the beginning and um Maybe you could share with us why you think people struggle a lot with figuring out their price. And then then we'll get to talking about how to figure out your pricing. (laughs) Sure, sure. I think a lot of times we get insecure. You know, we have a little bit of imposter syndrome. We're worried that if we get our price wrong, people aren't going to buy. And all this work that we invested in something is going to be for nothing because no one's buying our product. I don't know how many times, you know, you get off the phone with a client and they kind of say no. And then you're thinking, oh, is it with my price? And I'll be honest, it's usually not the price, but your confidence plays into the entire picture. When you're confident in your price, it tends to go over better. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, I think people overthink the name of their business and they will not launch and not start because they just can't come up with the perfect name or they can't create the perfect website and pricing is like that too. It's like, it's never going to be perfect. Everything can change. So you just have to pick something you feel good with and run with it. Yes. And start like get started and then don't be afraid to pivot or change later. Um, A lot of times I recommend starting just a little bit lower on the scale of things, just because the expectations from buyers will be a little bit lighter on you, right? And that makes things a little easier, gives you a little bit of practice, I guess. Um, You don't necessarily need to offer it as a discount, but just know that you're going to be kind of in that bottom tier of pricing. Yeah, no, that's good. I I shy away from from discounting. I like to kind of add bonuses instead of giving people discounts. Um, but that's, that's my thing. I, we can get into that later. So mm-hmm. why don't you tell us now um, some of the numbers that people need to know as they're figuring out their pricing or as they're pivoting their pricing? Because like we said, it's something that can change. And, you know, a lot is always changing in the economy. So we should be reassessing our pricing on a regular basis. Um, yeah. So what kind of numbers do people need to look at? Like what, what's really important here? I mean, the easiest, definitely everybody should have this number is what it costs to produce the thing you're producing, whether that's a service, you need to know how much time invested. And then, you know, if you're hiring someone to help you, how much time that's going to cost you as well in time and money. Um, I think a lot of times we're like, oh, that's easy. And we forget that there's all the other overhead in the business and time. For example, I build websites. And I've looked at, you know, okay, well, I have the time it takes me actually to build the site, but then there's all the conversations with the person who I'm building it for that often gets forgotten. And so take that entire picture and and get your base number. Um, when you have a product-based business, obviously you need to know 
what goes into it. Um, you know, for me with puppies, it gets kind of unique because, you know, you buy a lot of things in bulk, you have dog food for your adults, you have dog food for your puppies, but you're, you want to sort of say, okay, well, on average, I go through five extra bags of dog food in a litter. So I'm going to break that up by the number of puppies on average I have. So having that base price, I know at a bare minimum, I need to have this much money come in to break even. But I think it goes a little bit deeper. You want to know why you're doing what you're doing. And it sounds like really cheesy. People are like, oh, yeah, well, I'm making money. That's why it's my job. And it's like, okay, yes. But there's so many jobs you could have. And so you always have to compare things. I remember there's sometimes in dog breeding where it feels like you would make more money working at McDonald's if you don't do it right. And so it's like, okay, well, let's at least set that bar and say, okay, if I worked at McDonald's, I'd be making this much a week. Am I beating that? Okay. And, you know, and start going back and forth. And then also, you know, I, I had a really good job that I stepped away from when I, um, uh, when I had my second child. And so we had to run those numbers. Did it make sense to give up that income for the freedom I gained? And so a lot of times in our jobs, if we're entrepreneurs, we are doing this partly for the freedom. And there is a threshold in which you need freedom to compensate you. You know, you get something, whether that is financial freedom or whether that's time freedom, um, you need to know why you're doing what you're doing and the end goal you need to quote unquote be successful in your life, not necessarily in your business. And so when you have that why on the back end, it now makes it really easy to say, well, if I don't make this much money, I'm going to be resentful and I'm not going to like what I'm doing anymore and I'm not going to like my customers. And so we have to obviously have our base price and then know how much we need on top of it in order to just feel good about what we're doing. Yeah. So I have a question um, that I think maybe some listeners are thinking, if I can pretend to be a mind reader. Um, so if, if you have expenses, like you were talking about building websites, mm -hmm. um, if you have things that are like your internet, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. your Canva Pro subscription, yeah. um, if you're paying for the ChatGPT Pro, you know, whatever it is that you're paying for that are things that you're kind of using here and there all the time, sometimes, and it's ongoing things. How do you work that stuff into your pricing? Yeah. So I think of it as overhead. So I don't know um, how much your audience would be familiar with operating expenses over Cox, cost of goods sold. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Let me do a brief overview. Pull it back from my days of doing accounting. Okay. Um, so you have two different kinds of expenses when you're using your when you're working in your business. The easy one to understand is cost of goods sold. And so basically when you're producing a product in business school, they called it the widget, but it's all the materials that go into the widget. And so anything that you need to make that product is a cost of goods sold. Essentially, you won't have that cost if you're not making the thing. On the other hand, you have products or you have expenses that are part of your operating expenses. And so those operating expenses exist whether or not you're actually in production. So, for example, the Internet generally falls under that operating expense. And so what I usually do for those is I like to have my overall to run my business every month. I need X amount of dollars. And so when you're doing your pricing um, on your product, you kind of want to look at um, and it's, it's, it really depends on the industry. So um, I'm going to put that out there in construction. Construction is a really basic one, one, and one. So construction is like one third is materials. One third is labor and one third is profit, like almost always. But when you say profit, it's also overhead. 
So that's overhead plus profit is in that last third. So that's kind of a rough standard for some things. Um, and when you look at, at having those that overhead, you want to take a portion of your profit from every item you sell or every service you do, and that is going to cover your overhead. So at a minimum, you'll need so much. So if your overhead was a thousand a month, um, at a bare minimum, you're going to need probably, you know, maybe the three thousand dollars coming in to cover materials, your labor, and then the overhead for the business. Yeah. Okay. That's a great explanation. Thank you. So once people know their overhead, their cost of goods, they're just like general total expenses, um, mm -hmm. that can help you determine your price. What are some other things that people can look at to help them determine their price? Sure. So um, one thing to look at is if we have a tendency to underplay our value, uh, so that that happens a lot. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Um, but look at if you were to hire somebody to do the things you're doing in your line of work, what would it cost you to hire somebody? Uh, that's a really good place to start. If you needed to outsource five hours, you know, of your work to a VA, that's going to be a hard number, you know, somewhere between probably 100 or 200 a week. So if you were to take that number, um, that can roll into your labor costs. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes it's easy to separate um, going back to a plumber charging 125 an hour, for example, sorry, terrible, but everybody understands construction. <laughs> um, so you have um, the plumber has 25, per, you know, dollars in materials. He has a hundred dollars that he earns between labor and profit on this job. And so you think, okay, well, he would have to pay a guy $40 for that hour of work. So the business now made 60. So then we need to look at that $60 that's left over and say, how much goes to overhead? How much do we need for that? And then how much is then our resultant profit? Yeah. So for the plumber, like his gas, his his truck yeah, maintenance, that kind of stuff. become all those operating expenses. And some of those would be cost of goods sold, right? Because the parts would mm -hmm. definitely be part of it. But then there's the general overhead of the fuel and all those like insurance. Mm -hmm. How about just doing kind of an audit of competitors in your area? Um, that can be, is that a good place to start with figuring out your pricing? Or like I said, some people may have been in business for a long time and you should definitely reassess your pricing. So um, okay. is looking at your competitors a good idea or is that just going to kind of breed insecurity and jealousy and other I, things. I think it's really fascinating. So sometimes we struggle with money mindset and we think nobody will ever pay me that much for this. And then you can look at your competitor and they are charging that and they're not closed. So somebody is paying that amount. And so the question is, do we have the wrong customer? Are we not confident in our pricing? Or are we missing something, you know? So so use it as a, to me, it's always inspiration. When somebody's making more money than me, it's inspiration because it means there's a way that I could make more money or run it more efficiently and take more home. So I, I don't know. That's my, I'm always, yes, I think you need to look at your competitors to see where you're at. Because for example, say you boarded, I had ran a boarding facility and the average price in town was 50 to $60 a night. If you're charging 25, people are going to be like, ooh, do I... Do I want to take them to the really dangerous part of town for boarding? And you could be in the nicest place, but your price online makes it look bad. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, figure out what that is. Yeah. And if people imagine like the other dog is going to be sleeping on some wet, cold right. ground. You know, exactly. It's, it's like right. we only feed them every other day. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, okay. So you want to make sure you're somewhat in there. Um, but then if you don't have as nice of facilities as maybe a place that's more established in town or you have a worse location where they have to drive more, 
first ask yourself, when can I turn this into an advantage? If I have a larger outdoor facility, do I have a nicer exercise area for the dogs? Or do I have to accommodate with a lower price because of the distance they have to drive? Uh, so, you know, you ask yourself those questions um, and then explain it. And if you don't have as nice of facilities, okay, so be a little bit lighter on price and know that you're going to shift your customer base a little bit from who their customer base is. Yeah. So it really is a, is a lot of mindset because I feel like pricing is such a hard topic, especially like we're talking loosely now, giving examples of like plumbers and stuff. Right. Um, it's it's so hard to talk about because it is all of this like, is being further away better or is it worse? You know, you yeah. know what what are the pluses and minuses? And I guess you have to just be really clear on who your customer is. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Sometimes you have to reevaluate your customer. You know, you might think you want high society people who are, you know, beautiful in their beautiful Cadillacs that never have dirt on them. But if you live on a dirt road, that's not going to work for them. And so you have to you have to know that sometimes you're not yet at the place where you can have those customers. And then sometimes you're going to find that when you start working with those customers, they become so high maintenance. It was easier at a lower price point with more people that were easier to work with. It was actually less time consuming. So that's why I like to, one thing I always try to do is ask yourself, how am I feeling about this right now? Is this stressful? Because if this is stressful, I should make some changes. Yes. Yeah. And, and not just stressful, like to compensate, like don't, don't charge more to compensate yourself for the stress, but maybe make some actual changes to what you're offering. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like to ask myself, okay, what's stressful? Is it, am I stressed because they're asking me so many questions or am I stressed because I'm not making enough money to accommodate the time it's taking me to handle this customer? Mm. And those are two different questions, you know? And so you end up saying, okay, well, is, if it's just stressful in general, dealing with customers like that, like for me, I don't like dealing with dog buyers who are worried about every little like scratch their dog has. Like, I know I'm kind of mean, but the, (laughs) Like my dogs are idiots. They run into a cactus. They will cut themselves on everything. They'll run into walls. Like they're just not always the smartest dogs. And if a customer is calling me every time they have like an owie, I would lose my mind. And so I I need to move out of that bracket of customers if I, you know, because it doesn't work for me. I need to make mm-hmm. sure I'm, my, my people aren't that way, but. Yeah, but maybe pricing on the lower end, you would end up with more first-time dog owners who do have every little question and they're so nervous because it's like their first baby. Yes. Well, what I found is there, yeah, as you get as you get more expensive, people want more things done for them. And so you always need to, to question, can I produce that? And like, because if you find it irritating, and it's totally fine if you do, but if you find it irritating, you're going to make it easier for yourself, hire that part of it out. I made a lot of educational material for my buyers, and then I only did it once, and I just kept emailing it out. So that saved me time, right? So now I'm able to accommodate these more, I don't know, difficult, more time-consuming buyers um, because I've created a system to support them. Right. And so you can still provide them with great service that justifies the price, but you found a way so that you're not having to replicate those hours with every single absolutely. dog. And so it does allow me to keep my price still reasonable to give them that same quality of service. And so I always look for an opportunity to make things more efficient. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's try and get like a little bit more <laughs> specific um, sure. with an example for someone. So say someone... Um, is a pet photographer and um, they are struggling to um, to figure out their pricing 
for their photography packages. So they've gone out and they've looked at the competitors. There's, there's people who are doing it for free. And then there's people who are charging $5,000. <laughs> and yeah. so it's, it's you know, they're they're kind of a little bit lost. They're like, well, you know, this is not helpful. <laughs> this, yeah. this competitor research isn't really making it clear for me. Um, so they've, they've gone and they've figured out, you know, each session is going to take two hours, then I'm going to need five hours to edit the photos. Um, they've figured out all this stuff. Is there like a formula that they could use to, to, to kind of almost calculate a starting point for their pricing? Um, do you think that that's possible? Yes. And I think you should look at, and it's hard because you need to gauge your skill. So, um, in a photographer, I know that there's a lot of, it's very subjective because there's the art to it. Um, one thing with photography is I know that in the photographers I've spoken with, they get very frustrated when people are like, just give me what you have. And it's like, no, I can't give it to you without editing it because this is my reputation on this image. And you're going to show it to people. And if it looks crappy, because I didn't do the thing I'm supposed to do at the end. I don't want that out there. And so you for, you have to set for yourself, know that every piece of work you do, every product you sell, every service you provide is also your business card and you need it to look right. So just say, well, this is how I do it. So if this is the minimum and it is going to be the two hours plus the five hours of editing, then how much do you need to make per hour, right? That's your base price. And maybe consider... How much do you need for your overhead per month? How many sessions are you going to take? Are you only going to be able to do two sessions a week? In which case, each session needs to cover an eighth of your overhead. So let's figure those numbers out. Um, and then also with photography, you need to have your price up a little bit because people will think you're crap if you don't have a decent price. So what I'd like to see is find other people in your similar price bracket um, and then see if you can add one thing that becomes your signature style mm -hmm. that makes you stand out from everyone else. And then I would price yourself pretty much in the middle. Um, but what I love is having a downsell. Have a package that's your best value, but then have a downsell that says, or I can go with you, we'll do the session. The session fee is non-negotiable. That should be flat rate. Um, but have a... Um, but you could just get five digital photos at the end of it. No prints. Great. And I love that because people can share them. You'll get it done right. You don't have to negotiate the editing. The editing is non-negotiable. Um, but you can downsell them instead of the package with 25. You get five <laughs> pictures mm -hmm. or something. Online. That's such a great example. And I think that makes it easy to understand. And that kind of transitions also something we were talking about before hitting record was the gap in pricing. So tell us a little bit about the the gap and why you want to avoid that. Sure, absolutely. So mind the gap, if you will. <laughs> yes. So people, uh, buyers are so interesting, um, and you'll catch yourself doing this too. Uh, you'll go to, you'll go look on Amazon. My daughter did this yesterday, right? She went to go buy something on Amazon that was thirty nine dollars yesterday, and she looked at it and it goes, she goes, "Mom, it's seventeen dollars now." And I said, "That's odd." She's like, "Is that a really good deal?" or is something wrong? And I was like, you nailed it. Something's probably wrong, right? Because why would it be less than half the price it was yesterday? Um, and so buyers just naturally feel like, ooh, I don't know, something's not right. So if you have an item that's your entry level price at $20, right? And that might be like your 
what if you had like grooming tools, for example, yeah. and the, the basic grooming tool is $20 and, uh, and then the next level is 500. It's like, well, what? <laughs> it's very confusing because if I were to go get clippers that are $20, as opposed to $500, 500 feels like a lot. You need to sell me on why this is $500, but $20 feels like it'll probably break tomorrow or it requires like 14 double A's every time I want to use it. And, you know, so you, you feel like something's wrong for there to be that much gap in pricing. But yeah. see, if we had something that was $20 and then another thing that was 80, one that was two, 250 and then a 500, now I'm like, oh, okay, what do I feel comfortable spending and what value will I get? And because there's those other two items, it's okay to sell $20 and $500 items. Yeah. But it's the gap. Another example would be like think, dog prices. Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say, like, I think a lot with um, like online business people who I follow, if they sell like a little ebook or a, a template or something for $9, and then right. in order to do a program with them, it's like $2,000. Yes, that's a great I'm example. Like, it's just like, well, that's the 2000 seems way overpriced now. And the $9 or whatever cheap thing seems like it's not going to be good because mm. there's the 2000 So it exactly. is a psychological like... Oh, it's such a psychological trick. thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And sometimes you need to add add in that, that drop in price on something. Again, the down sale just to have something they don't want so they'll spend the extra money. Yeah. So what was you were going to say with puppies? Oh, with puppies. So we're weird thing. Um, it's it's like, "Oh no, you know, you have a meltdown when you have a puppy that's over 8 weeks old and it's not sold yet." And it happens, right? The market was crazy last year, so it happened a lot. Um even I had puppies. Oh. And so then we uh what I was looking at is so if if your dogs are like normally $2,000 and you have a brand new litter of eight puppies to sell and those are 2000 and then you have like a 16 week old puppy who's like oh no he's starting to turn into an adult and it's scary and nobody will want him and you know you drop the price you can't drop the price too much if you were to drop his price down to like i think like 1500 is about the lowest you could get away with keeping your other price at 2000 because if i go down to 1000 imagine the buyers think they're getting you know the wool puller room because you have yeah, they're like, what's wrong puppy? with this dog? Right. Or now your puppies at 2000 seem like too much because yeah. in eight weeks, they're only going to be worth a thousand. What's wrong? Or something's like, why is this puppy only a thousand? Something must be wrong. So yeah, there's too many questions. So that gap, you need to be very, very cognizant of the gap. And sometimes the easiest thing to do, right? If you go back to your example with the $9 and the $2,000 would be to have something in the middle that's 300, 500, somewhere in there just to ease it or do a group coaching, you know, or something in the middle that feels like, because I, I do feel like you have no idea what you're doing if you're pricing something at $9 and $2,000. Yeah, just, I know. But you see, you do see this. I mean, I've definitely and crossed I, it. And I will give you guys like the benefit of the doubt that so many coaches out there are things online. They'll tell you um, if they buy something from you, a tiny digital product, they're now a warm lead. And it's like, I get that because you've made an impression. They bought something. They become a warmer lead than if they bought nothing. But just make sure you're not like dropping the ball after the $9 item. Like, yeah. Work them up to something else. Yeah. Or you've just attracted a lot of people who are willing to spend $9. <laughs> there is that too. That's a hard one. That's a really hard one. One thing I've noticed in my in my business is that uh, in my coaching part of it, I have DIYers 
I have hand holders and I have do it for me's. And people will come to me in any one of those buckets. And the DIYers are like, I don't have time for you. Give me the course. I'll go do it myself. And then you have the hand holders who are like, I think I have it. I want to touch base with you. And then you have the people who are like, I have no idea where to start. Can you do it for me and show me how to use it? Yeah. And it's worth it to know who your customers are too, because that will play into it. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so it's kind of, we have to sort of wrap up our conversation here. So we talked about the numbers that you need to know. I think we gave people a lot of examples and actionable tips, you know, to go out, look at your competitors, go out, calculate your actual expenses. (laughs) Um, That's a really good idea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a number that you think does not matter when you are calculating your pricing? Oh, like followers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> followers are just such a goofy thing. I'll be honest with you. Like when somebody comes to me, like I have 15,000 Instagram followers. I'm like, that's cute. Did you play games online? Like, you know, if if you're not selling the thing you're supposed to be selling and you have 15,000 followers, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a huge disconnect there. Yeah. Um, and I know you have like a million followers, but I also know you show up and do your thing. But it should do my thing. But I also feel like my um, 40,000 followers on Instagram don't, it, it's nice to have. And that's like a great yeah. bragging thing. But that's really what it is. It's just like a bragging yeah. thing because the the people who take action are the people on my email list. And right. it's a tenth of the size of my Instagram following. And so, um, you know, it's just so much more effective. So I, you know, I feel like, if there's any kind of takeaway, it's for people to pay attention to the numbers that matter. Don't right. stress about the numbers that don't matter, like how many mm-hmm. followers you have. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You have to, you want quality leads over, I would rather have quality over quantity any day of the week. Right. That's an, that's an easy one. I will say that I think the number one contribution to confidence in it is confidence in your product. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are, if you are not confident in your product, it's going to come out in how you talk about it. It's going to come out in the words you choose and the tone you use. Um, like just, if you're not confident in charging $2,000 for your dogs, instead of saying our dogs are $2,000, you would say our dogs are $2,000, you know, and your voice goes up at the end. And then <laughs> all of a sudden it sounds negotiable or like you don't have something going on. And a lot of times if you catch yourself hesitating, there's going to be an image that pops in your head, you know, and for dog breeders, of course, it's always like, I remember that time all the puppies got sick and, you know, and then you think, well, maybe they're not worth $2,000. And where you question yourself is exactly the thing you should fix in your business. And when you fix that, it'll boost your confidence in that area. And all of these things will play together to make you more confident in your program, which comes across as confidence in your pricing. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good journaling exercise. <laughs> very true um okay julie well thank you so much for sharing uh all your advice with us i'm sure this will be the most downloaded episode of all time again it's going to be the old one um so thank you for everything um tell people where can they find you and where can they learn more about your programs and your podcast and everything thanks for having me i um i'm julie swan i have the honest dog reader podcast you can find it on wherever podcasts are um and then I, you can go to honestdogbreeder.com 
And then I have the Dog Breeder Society. Um, the Dog Breeder Society is a monthly membership for dog breeders. Um, we have a masterclass we recently released, uh, the Breeder Copy Hub, which is now um, 25 caption templates and five email templates every month that are written in a Mad Lib style that you can use for your social media and email list. So Nice. I love that. Uh, yeah, that's been such a pain point for so many breeders. So hopefully it'll make it easier. Yeah, nice. Awesome, Julie. Well, thank you again for your expertise. And um, I will put all the links and everything in the show notes. So for this episode and any episode, you can go to wherewagrepeat.com slash podcast and find more information on everything that we talk about. Some of the best conversations happen after the episode. Send me a note on Instagram at wherewagrepeat or find even more women petpreneurs to connect with in our private Facebook group called Wear Wag Repeat Labs. If you want to dig into more episodes, resources to grow your business, or find a link to something we discussed, it is all right there for you at wearwagrepeat.com. I'll see you back here next Wednesday for a fresh conversation.